Podcast. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the Phoenix Suns. Well, not really the Phoenix Suns, let's be honest. It was uh, not necessarily the best. Mark, final score, 126-97. This was pretty easy from the Nuggets' perspective. They won every quarter. It was not like... It was just not competitive in any way, shape, or form. I thought the Suns actually made some relatively lucky shots. They had some followaways from two. They had a bank three go in from Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig went five of five and three of three from three in general. So some things that are not going to happen in the future happened tonight. And it kept the game within 30. That's really the margin of what this was. Denver was clearly the better team. And that's what's going to happen when the Phoenix Suns are down. Let me take a breath. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, uh, Landry Shaman. Is that six guys? Yeah, it's six guys. They probably have a seventh that I'm even missing too. Uh, pretty clearly depleted. Oh, campaign. That's the other one. They did not have basically their top seven rotation players outside of Mikhail Bridges, which that's going to be a difficult one. It's going to be a tough one for them to win, especially when they had played on the previous night. They traveled from Golden State to Denver, a west-to-east back-to-back after having a big win against the Warriors. Nobody expected them to win this game, and Denver played like they expected to win this game. And Denver came out victorious. It was pretty straightforward, nothing really to make a big deal out of. Denver took care of business, and there were some good things that happened tonight. I'll talk about all the good things, but more so, this was a matter-of-fact victory, and it should be treated as such. Denver's now 18-3 and on the road, 28-13 and overall, and they have really figured out a lot of things on this homestand and continue to figure things out too. We'll begin with the starters in the first segment, move to the bench in the second segment, and then I'm going to do trade chatter in the third segment. I know it's not necessarily the the best time given how well Denver's playing. Like, why would you talk about trades right now, Ryan? But I'm going to talk about it. I'll talk about the minor stuff. I'll talk about the major stuff and just my overall feelings on what Denver's going to do in about a month from now. But first, let's go through the starters. Let's start with Nikola Jokic, who had a very straightforward night, very much not an issue tonight with the combination of Bismack Biombo, Dario Saric, and Jock Landale defending him. It was uh, not necessarily his toughest matchup. Bismack Biombo was minus 31 in 16 minutes. Good lord. Uh, Joker tonight, 28 minutes, 21 points, 10 of 15 from the field, didn't attempt a three, one of three from the line. Probably needs to be better there, of course, but 18 rebounds in 28 minutes. Nobody else in the starting lineup had more than three. Aaron Gordon had zero. Basically, every rebound went to Nicola, and that is just kind of how they did it. Everybody else was running in on the fast break tonight, which was pretty funny. 18 rebounds, nine assists, one steal, three turnovers was a plus 17 from the field in his 28 minutes. That means that the Nuggets were plus 12. In the other 20 minutes, that's a great indication of what the bench was like. Zeke Naji, a plus 12 in his 20 minutes right there. So we'll be having some good conversations about the bench. But in general, the starters just played really well. And Jokic was the biggest reason why. He stirred the drink for everything that they ran. Murray had some good passes too, and I'll talk about him soon here. But it was mostly Jokic uh, passing, dishing, doing everything they needed to do. And there were a lot of great plays to be made, a lot of outlet passes, a lot of domination. Didn't really have a lot of opportunities to just straight up post up, and that was fine. A lot of his baskets were right under the basket, whether they were dump-offs on cuts, whether they were offensive rebounds, whether they were pick-and-roll possessions just kind of floating down the middle of the paint. Very easy stuff for Nikola Jokic tonight. 
And also just a performance to not really write home about, despite the fact that he went 21-18-9, and it looked very, very simple. Jamal Murray tonight, 25 minutes, 16 points, 6 of 13 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 2 of 3 from the line himself, 6 assists, 2 turnovers. He was a plus 20. There were some really good possessions from Jamal tonight, and though his efficiency probably wasn't what you wanted it to be against this particular team, I thought he got a lot of good shots, just missed a couple shots here and there, had to take a a weird like uh, shot late in the shot clock for a three at one point. So there were some times where Denver wasn't all the way focused in, but Jamal for much of this game, just very steady, very easy presence to work alongside both the starting unit and the bench unit. He didn't have a lot of stretches in this game where he was just dominant. It felt like he just had a basket every quarter and or a basket or two in every stint. And that is sort of how it's got to be with him. Sometimes he'll get hot, but more often than not, he's got to pick and choose his spots within what the Nuggets are doing in each unit. Because when Jokic is out there, they're trying to play Jokic ball. And when he's out there with Bones, sometimes it's Bones' show and he's running things. So he kind of split those duties and that's sort of how he's having to walk the line right now. And sometimes he's got it going. Tonight, he didn't really have it going, but he was playing well. And there were a lot of good possessions. He loves playing the Suns. Mikhail Bridges does not defend him as well as he defends other players. So really interesting matchup, something to monitor going forward. And oh, by the way. Jamal rolled his ankle in the beginning of the fourth quarter. I think it was the first play of the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. He's coming off of a screen, tried to pivot with his left foot. His toe got down, his heel did not, and he just turned the ankle because of those, his momentum. And that that's a basketball play that happens. It was not a serious thing. Michael Malone said that he should be good to go for next game. Whether he actually plays in the next game or not, I don't really know, but if he had to play, my sense is that Jamal could have laced it up and put on an ankle wrap or something and just compressed it as much as possible and he would have been fine. But this wasn't really the opportunity to push it. It was a 25-point game at that point, so not really something that Denver needed to worry about. And so they got KCP in there. KCP played really well in his stead. Let's move to Michael Porter, actually. Uh, didn't shoot the ball well tonight. Didn't shoot the ball well. Two of seven from three. Got to the free throw line once and uh, or a couple times and went one of two. And the two possessions that he had that were two-pointers tonight were driving dunks. That was actually a new thing, something that he hadn't done in a while. And I can remember them both vividly. One of them was in the first half where he is undergoing an action And he's driving down the left side of the middle of the paint, kind of from the middle down the left side of the paint. And he stuffs it with two hands, if I'm not mistaken, on the run. And that was a really impressive dunk. And one that you hadn't really seen much from him, especially on drives. He just hasn't been that coordinated and that athletic in general for most of this time. But then he also had one where... He got switched on to Bismack Biombo. I think there was a kind of a three-man switch between when Joker was coming up the court, when Murray was up the court, and when Porter was up the court. Murray was dribbling the ball. Biombo then switched on to Murray, who then had to switch on to Porter. And rather than just shoot, Porter drove. He drove it on Bismack Biombo and drove it right around him and dunked it. And it's plays like that that give you confidence, right? Give you confidence that he can do it. Now, Bismack Biombo. Not necessarily the most mobile big man, not necessarily the guy that you're trying to say, oh yeah, look at Porter taking Biombo to the rack. That's not how this goes. But every possession that he has like that is generally good. And that is a really, really exciting thing. Uh, Porter also had some good defensive possessions against Mikhail Bridges. I think last time these two teams played in the playoffs, that was a major point in why Denver had to play drop coverage was that Porter was getting cooked on the perimeter anytime that he had to cover a whole bunch of ground. Now he's not getting as cooked. Now he's holding his own and Mikhail Bridges couldn't really get the possessions that he was hoping to get. 
only went three of 10 from the field. And there were a lot of possessions that Porter was the primary defender on him and actually made some really good defensive plays. So I love to see it. Love to see it from Michael Porter. And he is somebody who continues to be under the radar in terms of what he has added to everything that's going on. Just kind of there, not necessarily making any waves. Only took nine shots tonight. He takes the threes because he's really good at them. He only went two of seven tonight. But I want to see him take threes. I want to see him continue to jack those threes up when he can. And on a night like tonight where Denver scores 126, I'm okay with him taking seven threes, even if one of them is maybe a little bit rushed. All of the others were catch and shoot attempts that he's normally going to make. So other times he's going to make five of seven. This is not a big deal. KCP tonight, really good. Really good on both ends of the floor. One of the big reasons why Denver held Phoenix under 100 tonight. 15 points from KCP in 27 minutes. 15 points on seven shots, five of seven from the field, four of five from three, made his only free throw, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, no turnovers, led the team with plus 26. There is a reason why KCP continues to lead Denver in these plus minus categories. Joker's currently ahead, but don't be surprised if KCP at some point overtakes him in the plus minus category because he's just fitting in so seamlessly to everything that the Nuggets are doing. Denver is at their best when KCP is spacing the floor, when he is doing everything on both ends of the floor, running through screens, drawing illegal fouls, deflecting passes, making plays in transition, doing everything that he can to limit ball handlers, touches, and shots. He has been fantastic for Denver and just a very underrated aspect of why the Nuggets have been the team that they've been. Plus 26 for KCP is a big reason why. He's been rotating in and providing his uh, role-playing touch for just about everything the Nuggets have done this year. It's been fantastic. And then Aaron Gordon, final thing here, final, final starter. Zero rebounds. A little bit weird that he had zero rebounds tonight, but obviously not complaining. Denver won this game going away. And this was one of those games where... Aaron Gordon didn't have to do that much in order to be an impact player. 12 points on four of four shooting, four of six from the, from the field, didn't even attempt a three. He didn't attempt a three. Jokic didn't attempt a three. Denver in this game knew exactly how they had to attack the Phoenix Suns. It was putting pressure on them in front of the rim. Joker did that a lot, so Aaron Gordon got out of the way. But there were times where Gordon was the guy who was in front of the rim, whether he was uh trying to front uh, or get in front of Mikhail Bridges, post him up underneath the basket, whether he was cutting, whether he was in offensive rebounding position and somebody just passed him the ball. But he made a couple nice passes too. One of them being a behind the back pass to Joker, kind of in semi-transition when he was under the basket already. Really impressive stuff from Aaron Gordon. He continues to find ways to impact the game, even when he's not a high usage player. Plus 18 tonight, very much a part of what Denver was doing, even though he only took four shots, had zero rebounds, had to assist, had a steal on the block, good defensive pressure. And could he have been even better defensively tonight? Sure. Did he need to be? No. He was very good tonight, no matter what the no matter what the situation was. And I just continue to have confidence in this starting lineup that no matter the team that they are going to face. They're going to be able to put pressure on whoever it is, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's the Grizzlies, whether it's the Pelicans. I want to see that Pelicans matchup soon. They're playing the Pelicans in about 12 days. I think that that's a game that Denver will be much more prepared for than they were last time. We will see if that actually comes to fruition. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Bones, Highland, and the bench. Lots of good things to talk about from that bench group, including Zeke Naji. But first, add this to your New Year's resolutions. Win money in 2023 with Superbook Sports. Superbook has over three decades of sports wagering experience in Las Vegas, so you'll get the best odds anywhere as we head into the football playoffs. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. Make 2023 the year when you win money from Vegas. Download the Superbook Sports app now and place your bets. 
Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back at Pickaxe and Roll. Back, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's talk about the bench at 1:40 in the morning here. Sorry if I'm slurring my words at this point. I am delirious, but I got to get a podcast out because I've got to get one out tomorrow too. Uh, let's talk about the bench. Let's talk about the lineup that has really turned it around for Denver after. What was very much a slow start, you saw the weaknesses of that group, not necessarily playing well and playing connected together. And now at the end of this kind of little road stint here, they've actually, they've got another five road games after this next, uh, this, this, uh, they've got another five home games after this next road game. So that is something. Jamal, Bones, Bruce Brown, Vlako Chanchar, and Zeke Naji. That group, Got a lot of criticism, and whether it was right or wrong, it hadn't been playing well for much of the year, and now it's starting to turn around a little bit. It's starting to get a little bit of signs of positivity, and even if it's not perfect, even if it's not a unit that's going to be positive every night, it's at least a functional unit now, and the Nuggets are finding ways to make it functional. Zeke Naji is the high screen and roll guy for most of the time. And whether it's Jamal or whether it's Bones, those guys are kind of going back and forth, finding opportunities for themselves and for each other to attack the seams of the defense. And Bones seems to think, uh, we spoke to him postgame, that that is a really, really good thing for them, that he has been able to find open seams a little bit more with Jamal on the floor. And whether that's true or not, I'm not really sure, but it does strike me that there were a lot of possessions tonight where Bones was running actions, and then he swung it over to Jamal, and Jamal was running actions on the other side of the court. And having two guys who can do that consistently, it helps. It's better than one. And I think that the offensive help has been more important than the defensive struggles. Because you're always going to struggle with Bones and with three small guards out there. Bruce Brown's doing his best at times, but Sometimes it's just, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to make up for some of those weaknesses. But like, Zeke Naji logged a block today. Bruce Brown logged two steals and a block today. Vlaco logged a block. Bones logged a steal. Jamal Murray did not log a steal or a block, but he won the defensive player of the game chain where he drew an eight-second violation. That's, That's a really big deal from a star guard to be a guy who is going to pressure full court and force an eight-second violation on the team. It was like at the beginning of a quarter or something like that. And that's big. That's a big message to send, that even the guy that's recovering from the ACL tear is just hounding folks. And Jamal's just been a really good defender this season. Like, full stop. Been really good. I don't need any quantifiers on that. He's been good. He found some moments to shine. There was one possession where Zeke set a ball screen for him, and Jamal just kind of sprinted off the pick, pulled up from three right in front of Jock Lando, and drained the bucket. Him being able to do that and just run into threes like that is a big deal. If he can continue to get downhill like that and find opportunities where it's just an open rhythm three, then sure, Denver should keep trying to do that too. I don't know if they should have been spamming that action. Maybe that's something that they could do more in the playoff setting where you're like, okay, you've got it going. You've been playing well. Take take your matchup on. But I know that they can do it. I know that that's something that they can go to even more when Jamal's out there with the bench. But Bones, though, was the guy that really stands out. 24 minutes for Bones, 21 points. 7 of 12 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. Four assists to just one turnover. He was a plus seven. He's usually the guy that trails everybody in plus minus because his moments or his minutes kind of mirror the opposite of what Jokic's minutes are. And it's been really impressive 
watching Bones over the course of these past eight games, sometimes he will drive you mad. Sometimes he'll go crazy. Sometimes he'll make a decision that you just have yourself scratching your head. But then there are nights like tonight where, from the get-go, he was just on fire. He was just absolutely balling out. He hit a three. He hit another three. He hit another three. He hit a cold-blooded three off of a scramble possession for Denver where they have two chances at a three, get two offensive rebounds. The ball gets kicked out to Bones after a Vlaco Chanchar offensive rebound, and Bones hits the shot. It's one of those possessions where the the top of the building popped off because of that shot, and then Bones was reveling, at big, reveling in it because he is just a great catalyst for those kinds of moments where you need that momentum boost. You need the, the building to get behind you. You need the building to be engaged and in it. And the building loves Bones. They love his energy. They love his pace. They love his antics. And they love the shot making. And he has been great at it. So deserves a lot of credit. He had one possession where I asked him about it. He was just saying he felt he was feeling it tonight that the ball felt like a rock shooting it into the ocean tonight. And that's a great line because it is so true. But he had one possession where Joker uh, fired the ball up court to him and he was kind of in between the half court line and the three point line. And he caught the ball and in the same motion turned and fired, turned and shot. And he was perfectly on line with it. He was very much in his bag, very much just wanted to get that shot off because he was in such a great rhythm. And when he's gunning like that, and it's good gunning in a situation where you're up and you're having fun and you just know that if you deliver that dagger, then the game is over, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. That's his skill. That's his best skill that he brings to the table. And he absolutely shut the door on the Suns in the second quarter. Yeah, I hung around for a little bit here, third quarter, fourth quarter. They were like within 15 at points, within 18 at points, within 20. But Bones really shut the game down. It was over after that three. Monty Williams called a timeout, and you just saw him reveling in it. It was awesome. Bruce Brown, as I mentioned, he's got a tough job sometimes because of the defensive responsibility that he has. It's good that Jamal can really pick up some of those assignments, but Bruce Brown is the guy that you're going to want guarding the ball in most of those situations. And he had two steals and a block tonight, was a plus 11, staggered with the first unit at various points. He's the first guy off the bench every night. Uh, Jamal goes to the bench and Bruce Brown comes in for him, plays a couple minutes of point guard in a more defensive-minded unit. And then Bones comes in and leads the second unit that way. But I just like the way that they've deployed Bruce Brown. Not a lot of shots tonight in terms of, hey, this is a whole bunch of threes that you're getting up. He went 0 of 3 tonight, couple of wide open ones, couple of ones, or one where he was a little bit more rushed and it didn't look great. But two steals and a block is hard to fake. Had four points, had a floater that he hit. I don't remember if the offensive rebound that he got was a, a putback or not, but he just fits in really well to what they do. And if he's making the threes, then great. But Denver shot 44% from three tonight, and he went 0 of 3. So they have the capability to make up for him if he doesn't hit it. But more often than not, he's been one of those guys that has hit shots every night. Zeke Naji deserves a lot of credit too. 20 minutes tonight for Zeke would have been in line for about 12 to 15 had it not been for the blowout, but he got some extended run in that second half. And it's funny, like, the rebounding is still a thing with him. It's still a thing where he needs to be better on the glass. The team needs to be better on the defensive glass. But I looked up the numbers, and the team actually has a better defensive rebounding rate when Zeke is on the floor at center than when DeAndre is on the floor at center. So I think one of the reasons for that is Zeke does a really good job of boxing out whoever the primary option is for that second unit. Tonight, it went between Bismack Biombo, Dario Saric, and Jock Landale. Jock Landale, I know, got a lot of rebounds on the offensive end, 
he switched onto a lot of guys and was getting rebounds onto, like, not necessarily Zeke's fault because Zeke was switching and then it's just those other small guards that have to be better boxing out. But I thought that Zeke was fantastic tonight. Rebounding aside, that's probably a more team-centric problem than it is a Zeke-centric problem. Zeke did a great job tonight defensively, especially. He deserves a ton of credit. There was only one shot that I saw that was made against him tonight, maybe two. And he switched onto a whole bunch of ball screens. They were running 1-5 pick and roll most of the time, and Zeke absolutely shut them down. It was awesome. And sometimes you're going to let guys kind of get back into the groove at, at various points. Like, I think Jock Landell had one possession on him. Damian Lee switched onto him a couple times and I think hit one shot. I know Dwayne Washington hit a nice three in his grill right when I was complimenting him. So it's not perfect, but I thought that he disrupted as much of what the Phoenix Suns were trying to do with their bench defense or their bench offense as I think I've seen from Zeke so far this year. That first half that he played, it was just six minutes. Definitely not anything to write home about in terms of like, oh man, this is why Zeke should play more. But this is why Zeke should play. This is absolutely why this is the skill that he brings. When you do not have a big man on the other side, like Jock Landell tonight had 11 points and eight rebounds. It was fine, but nothing to write home about. When you don't have a big man on the other side, that can really punish you underneath. Having Zeke be able to switch onto guards and then be like, okay, we're going to isolate against you. And then those guards being like, oh shit, we cannot isolate against you. That's a really good feeling. That's got to be a really great feeling for Zeke. He takes pride in it. We talked to him post game and he says he takes pride in it, really wants to uh, continue to be better in that regard. Because whenever guards try to isolate against him, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to his ability to guard on the perimeter. And he's one of the best in the league at meeting that goal, meeting that challenge. He did a fantastic job tonight. Deserves a ton of credit for his ability to switch. Had a block. Pretty sure it was another chase down block of sorts where somebody drives by him in isolation and he blocks the shot. But... Had a great offensive night too, 15 points, 6 of 9 from the field. 1 of 3 from 3, made a 3 tonight. It was his 4th of the evening, or 4th of the season, excuse me. And uh, he was asked if he if he was still feeling good about that shot in general, his 3-point shot. And he said, yeah, I've never lost confidence in it. That's not something that has happened. He has not been a pick-and-pop guy at all. He's been more of a pick-and-roll guy in general. That's what the team has asked him and wanted him to do. However, I think that there are ways that he could be used a little bit more as a pick-and-pop guy. Though, let's be honest, he's now he shot 5 of 6 from 2-point range tonight. He didn't grab offensive rebounds tonight, but he usually grabs an offensive rebound or two every game. He's always a guy who is going to make an impact on the offensive glass and kind of around the rim. That's something that he said that he's gotten better at this year. And I think I see it too. So I like what he's done. I like what he's added. And he's slowly becoming a player that I think Michael Malone can trust a little bit more in different situations. Now, when they go back on the road, when they're on uh, really tough stretches as opposed to being at home against the third string Phoenix Suns, we will see whether that changes. However, I think that Zeke has earned the right to stay out there and continue to play. He's been very, very good. And finally, Vlako Chanchar. Vlako had a nice, uh, he had a, just a two-pointer right under the rim that was preceded by a nice block that he had in transition. Blocking Mikhail Bridges right at the rim. Mikhail tried to hammer at home. And Vlako Chanchar just stuffed him right at the rim. It was awesome. And there's so many plays where Vlako will make the connective pass, will make the extra play. And there are the highlights like that, where it really stands out, oh man, he's got some serious athleticism if he really wants to be. So it was a good night tonight for Vlaco. Nothing really to write home about in general, but that play really stuck out. His ability to just connect with what the Nuggets are doing. He grabbed that offensive rebound and kicked it out for an assist on that key Bones Highland three off the 
uh, massive offensive rebounding sequence. But there's just a lot of Latko being at the center of what makes Denver good with that bench right now. Sure, it's Bones and Jamal. I think you can count Zeke as one of those guys that is really, he's setting a lot of pick and rolls. But Vlacko is also setting a lot of picks. He is running second side ball screens and trying to make himself available to whoever that guard is and try to keep the ball moving so it's not getting too stagnant. That's a skill. And sometimes when the ball is in Bones Highland's hands, it can get a little bit stagnant out there. So having a guy like a Vlacko Chanchar who constantly wants to move the ball, constantly trying to put the offense in motion, not letting it get too stale. That's a good thing. It's actually a great thing. So we'll see if that continues. But overall, good game for Vlaco. Good stuff from the Nuggets. 126 to 97, basically a 30-point blowout. Never really close, never really in doubt. Denver put this game away from the start. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss some trade chatter. Not going to spend too much time on this, but wanted to share some thoughts. We'll be right back. We're back. Final segment, Big Axe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap this one up by doing some trade chatter. I talked with a few media members at the arena tonight and wanted to get their thoughts on various players that I had been thinking about as, hey, this is where Denver might decide to go. This is where Denver might be looking. Some of this is, like, it's not really sourced. This is not really sourced. Like, there's, there's some stuff that I've heard, but, like, nothing... Serious, and I'm mostly going to go off of what's been publicly publicly reported. Uh, but first, let's talk about where the Nuggets are in terms of trade chatter. They're 28 and 13 at the midway point. They're playing exceedingly well. They are what, like 11 and two in their last 13 games. They are in position right now where they can pick and choose. They do not have to be desperate. They do not need a desperate backup center upgrade because their bench is hopeless. That is where we thought it might be at the kind of like 20 game mark of the season. It's been better than that. And over the course of these last few weeks, Zeke and Vlaco have really helped solidify that second unit. So good for them for being able to step up in that situation. But Denver doesn't need to be desperate as a result. They don't need to throw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall, even before the trade deadline when they got DeMarcus Cousins. But what do the Nuggets actually need? The starting lineup is set. Jokic, Murray, Porter, Aaron Gordon, KCP. It's the best or second best starting group in the league in terms of net rating. Like The best is actually the Warriors, but that might actually change after this most recent game that the Warriors had played. I haven't checked it. Since uh, when? Since when Curry came back? But right now, the starting lineup is set. Bruce Brown is set. The Nuggets have committed to Bones Highland. He's going to play. So you've got Bones. You've got Bruce Brown. Those are two guards that they have within their rotation. Are you looking for another forward? Another big? I think backup center is probably the easiest call for many people, just because. It's someone who can help direct the offense, like a Jokic, at least for a bit. But right now, it feels like kind of a needless regular season addition. What Denver's been able to do over the course of these last few weeks is they've solidified that spot, and it's not killing them to the point where it's really necessary. And when you talk about a regular season addition, you know that Jokic is going to play a whole bunch of minutes in the playoffs, whether it's 36 minutes, whether it's 40 minutes, whether it's more than that. Who knows? But is somebody like Kelly Olynyk of the Utah Jazz, who I've, I'm very fond of in terms of his actual fit and how good he is as a basketball player, can Kelly Olynyk and Nikola Jokic play together? They could, probably wouldn't be great, probably not Denver's best look. So what you're really looking for is the minutes behind Jokic, which are 8 to 12 minutes per game. Is Kelly Olynyk worth two second round picks? 
Zeke Najee, and some other salary in order to just play like 12 minutes a night when it matters? Maybe, maybe not if he's the difference. I don't know if that's the difference. I don't think that that's going to be the big reason why Denver loses. Is it Mason Plumley? Doubtful. Is it Andre Drummond? Hell no. Those guys, regular season additions for the most part. If the Nuggets do add a backup center, in my opinion, that player has to have enough versatility that they can play next to Jokic too. So Andre Drummond is a no. Mason Plumlee is a no. Even though you've got the Plumlee-Jokic lineups that have played well in the past, that's just not something that I trust at this point of the season. You need somebody who can morph their game around what Jokic does. Play Jokic ball. Sam Amick of The Athletic, he reported that the Nuggets are looking at to add a defensive wing off the bench. He said, quote, they want to get longer, more athletic, versatile, defensive-minded, and bigger in that department. The Gordon trade with Orlando in March 2021 continues to pay big dividends, and adding another player with that sort of skill set would be the dream scenario here. For what it's worth, Eric Pincus of BR, who used to work in salary cap stuff with the league, said that the Nuggets are looking to add a bench defender in a, in a separate article. So I've heard similar stuff. The Nuggets are not going to sit on their hands. They are going to be active in terms of trying to make the team better. They're never going to not take a call in this kind of thing. The key, I think, is identifying players like that. Players that are good enough to actually go after and help you, but not necessarily good enough that teams are going to hold on to them so tight that they might burst. OG Ananobi, probably the biggest example of that right now. OG Ananobi is getting an astronomical uh, price tag. Denver's not getting him. There's no way. They don't have the assets unless they throw in Michael Porter, Bones, Zeke, and every first that they have for Ananobi, and you have to take on Gary Trent. That's a home run move if it works, because Ananobi is very good, but how much better is he really than Porter? Really? I don't know. He's a better fit in general, but he's not more talented. So if it works, great. If it doesn't, it's debilitating. It is a debilitating move because it's your last couple of chips to really get it good. I just don't think that Denver is ready to do that. So, Nuggets fans might be worried about Christian Brown's minutes. Maybe they're like, okay, well, Christian Brown, he can play in the playoffs. What What are you doing, Ryan? Why are you trying to add somebody else when you've got Christian Brown there? I wouldn't think about it too hard. The Nuggets, I think, view Christian Brown as more of a 2-3, a traditional wing. Somebody who's going to stay on the perimeter. Not necessarily somebody that's going to switch play the four or the five. He doesn't have that grown man strength yet, Christian Brown. He will. He'll get better at that. But part of his utility, Christian Brown, is his ability to mirror guards and stay with athletic, quick guards. Not necessarily somebody who can battle against bigger players. He's not that kind of player yet. Maybe he will be, but I don't think that he's that guy. I don't think that they've given up. They're not giving up on him. They, they like him a lot. They want him to be a part of their program. But think of him as more KCP than Aaron Gordon. And that's fine. Denver's just looking for more of an Aaron Gordon type when they think defensive wing. Bigger dude. So, who fits that criteria? Who is like that? I think that you've got to be a seller at the deadline in order to really figure it out in order to be part of that. And there are some teams that I've identified as teams that are mostly sub-500, but I think are probably sellers in general, if they're being honest with themselves. Let's go through it really quick. Flyers. These are players that I would consider not a guarantee to be part of the rotation, but maybe could win you a playoff game in the right situation. Javante Green of Chicago. Hasn't played in a while, but he's very good, very defensive-minded. Derek Jones Jr., probably not even bigger than Christian Brown, so probably not necessarily the guy that you're hoping for. But Chicago, a team to watch at the trade deadline. Houston, Kenyon Martin Jr., Kenyon Martin's son, 
KJ Martin, super athletic, super versatile, somebody who can have that defensive mindset, has been a good rebounder for the Houston Rockets, a good role player for the Houston Rockets. Maybe Jayshon Tate is another guy that kind of fits that bill. But in my mind, Houston guys, they, they overvalue their players a ton. They are not going to give those guys up. Minnesota, Nas Reed, more of a five in general, somebody that if Denver really did look for a five, Nas Reed would be somebody that I think cheap enough might make sense. Minnesota, I think, is more than willing to deal with him, uh, deal him, trade him. Torian Prince, also another guy that might make sense, hasn't really played in a while, has been injured a little bit. But if he does come back, is he more trustworthy than a guy like Jeff Green, than a guy like Flacco Chanchar in that situation? Maybe so. Maybe so. Oklahoma City, Kenrich Williams, Darius Baisley. Those are kind of guys that I think Denver could use in that situation. As a reiteration here, I'm not sure how much of these guys are an upgrade over a Vlaco, over a Zeke, over a Jeff Green. I'm not sure. What I do know is that when I think defensive wings, when I think players that Denver could help, uh, that could be helped by Denver, these are the guys that come to mind for these respective teams. Darius Baisley, somebody that is still very young, versatile, athletic, coordinated, somebody that could very well fill that Jeff Green role. Would not surprise me if Darius Baisley for Jeff Green in the second round pick made some sense for a team like Denver and made some sense for a team like OKC, where they pick up an extra asset for a player that they don't really have in their long-term plans. Orlando Wachuma Okiki, somebody that has had a lot of injury issues over the course of his first four years of his career or so, but definitely somebody that, if you ask around, has the capability as a big wing, as a big forward, to be a good switch 3 and D defender. Whether he manifests that or not, we'll see, but I could definitely see it with Denver. Phoenix, just saw them. They're probably not sellers, but if they are, Torrey Craig and Josh Akogi, those guys like Josh Akogi actually impressed me tonight. Wasn't perfect, but he's somebody who got up a lot of shots, had a lot of impact, 14 points, nine rebounds, five assists, one steal tonight. Would be fewer shots, obviously, because he was in a situation where the top seven guys in the Suns rotation were out, so he got up a lot of shots. But five assists, 14 rebounds, or 14 points, nine rebounds, that's a big time number for a guy that's like 6'4, six, 6'5. Six, He's a bulldog. Might make some sense if they're willing to part with him. They're probably not. Um, and then Torrey Craig, having a Torrey Craig reunion, that'd be cool. He was 16 points, five rebounds tonight on six of six and three of three from three. So maybe that would make sense. Although I didn't really see a ton of impact from Torrey Craig tonight. Just saying. San Antonio with Isaiah Roby, Kata Bates-Diop. Denver's had the Kata Bates-Diop experience before. They haven't had Isaiah Roby, but I've always liked Isaiah Roby. I think he's a guy that I don't think got a lot of credit while he was in OKC, but is still a very capable athletic player that San Antonio is currently using. If they don't have him in their long-term plans, maybe he's somebody that, that Denver could snag. Toronto with Thad Young or Chris Boucher, veterans that Michael Malone might trust a little bit more. Whether he would actually like Chris Boucher or not remains to be seen. He would like Thad Young, very much like a Jeff Green. Has a little bit more playmaking and versatility as kind of a, a part of the play than somebody like Jeff. Is he better? Probably not. That's sort of my feel on it. And then Washington, Rui Hachimura. Not sure how he has fit in to what Washington has done. Denny Avdia starting for them. Kyle Kuzma starting for them. Doesn't seem like Kyle Kuzma wants to be there for that much longer, but Denny Avdia is there. Rui Hachimura feels like a guy to me that doesn't necessarily fit into what Washington does, but might fit into what Denver wants to do with their bench. So maybe he's a guy that Denver could take a flyer on. That would be interesting. And here are some more ambitious targets. Guys that probably Denver can't get into, but might make sense if Denver was willing to pony up a little bit extra. 
Charlotte, Kelly Oubre, or P.J. Washington. Both of those guys, veterans, not necessarily players that are perfect in terms of their fit, in terms of who they are, in terms of what they've decided to turn themselves into in Charlotte. But Kelly Oubre has experience being kind of that bench wing in a situation where the Nuggets specifically could use somebody like that who's a little bit more stable. I'm not sure I'd describe Kelly Oubre as stable, but he is somebody who could really help win Denver a playoff game in the right circumstance. Whether that actually manifested or not, that remains to be seen. P.J. Washington I actually like a little bit more for Denver, though he's not going to help their defense. He is somebody that they could run pick and roll with, though. Pick and roll or pick and pop. And he's very coordinated, very good. But he is on a contract year, probably not a situation where he's looking to come to Denver because that might mess with his money. Detroit with Sadiq Bay or Isaiah Stewart. Sadiq Bay, I actually like. I think that if Denver decided to go away from Michael Porter at some point, Sadiq Bay makes sense as a long term replacement just because of his versatility, his coordinated nature, his ability as a Villanova guy, somebody who can fill in as a role player and do a bunch of different things, not necessarily as just a scorer. But he is a guy that thinks highly of himself and as he should. And may not necessarily want to be in a situation where he's coming off the bench. We'll see though. Like maybe that's something different, but it seems like Detroit is willing to trade Sadiq Bay. Like they're not necessarily super enthused with him. And then Isaiah Stewart, they like him. He's probably not somebody that you can get, but if you could get him, he's a good uh, rim roller, somebody who's very physical, but might actually be somebody that you could play next to Jokic at various points where he's mobile enough that you could probably play a two-big lineup where both of those guys are just absolutely dominating the glass. That would be interesting. Minnesota with Kyle Anderson is somebody that I would definitely inquire about if I were Denver. A point forward, somebody who can handle the ball, who can run plays, who can run pick and roll, and can also spot up in the corner, do a bunch of different things, but he's just so versatile in a way where you can use him in a lot of different situations. Think about Vlaco. Think about what Vlaco has done so far. And now think about a souped-up Vlaco. Maybe not athletically, but just in terms of his coordination, in terms of what Kyle Anderson is consistently asked to do. If Minnesota's season kind of goes in the wrong direction, and Kyle Anderson decides he wants to go a different direction, he's somebody that I would consider. And finally, Utah with Jared Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's gettable. They like Markinen. They like Walker Kessler. They would probably hold on to Kelly Olinick in this situation. Beyond him, beyond those guys, Vando is a guy that they'd probably be willing to part with, especially if they got a guy like Zeke Naji back in return. But Vanderbilt, very, very good player, somebody who fits Denver to a T where you could play him next to Jokic as kind of that Aaron Gordon role, or you could play him as the backup center, setting screens, making hustle plays, doing a bunch of different stuff. He's a guy that Denver would have to outbid other teams to get, and that would be tough. But he is a player that Denver's obviously familiar with. As long as that reunion was amicable, then I think Denver would have interest in that situation because of his skill set. But In terms of the bigger picture, I've named a lot of names here. I've shared a lot of thoughts in terms of the types of guys that Denver would be looking for. I don't know if Denver's going to look that hard. They're going to take a peruse. They're going to window shop a little bit. They're going to let themselves dream a little bit on different players that they could add to their rotation. But the fact is, is that with Vlaco and Zeke kind of settling in, and really helping the bench figure out its identity over the course of this last month, that's been a big deal. It's been nearly a month of those guys just finding ways to play. Zeke Nagy's got a positive net rating in that stretch, and the bench is defined by Zeke Nagy minutes, where he is on the court and Nikola Jokic is off, because those guys very rarely share the floor. So the fact that Zeke has a positive net rating to me, says a lot about the minutes that Denver has played in those circumstances. 
Zeke has turned himself into a player that Denver should probably believe in. He's just 22. He just turned 22. For much of this year, he's been 21. He is a guy that, like a Bones Highland, that, like a Christian Brown, is still trying to figure out the NBA, still trying to navigate his way. And he still strikes me as a player that I would rather have than most of the players that I just listed. Well, Jared Vanderbilt, maybe I'd rather have Jared Vanderbilt. Maybe I'd rather trust a Kyle Anderson or a Sadiq Bay or one of the Washington or one of the Charlotte guys. But in terms of the first list that I named, Thaddeus Young, Chris Boucher, Tory Craig, Darius Baisley, Tarian Prince, I think I'd rather have Zeke. And I know that at age 24, when Zeke is two years older, I would definitely rather have Zeke because I've seen what he's doing now. And he's just a guy that I feel like is a slower process player that is going to get better. He's Denver's main trade chip right now. But honestly, do they need to trade him? Probably not. They're probably good enough to win the title, even without a trade. So you look at that, you think about that, and Denver can be even more choosy in terms of the types of deals that they make. I think they've got enough. And if they decide that they have enough too, then I hope that it works out. I always want teams to be aggressive. I always want the Nuggets to be aggressive when they have an opportunity to make themselves better. And maybe trading Zeke, maybe trading Vlatko, guys like that would help make the team more stable in general, finding a better player. But I don't think that they should trade Zeke for Kelly Olynyk, Not anymore. I'm at the situation where the bench is not a disaster. You've solidified it. Now it's about making the playoff rotation the best that it can be. And Denver can choose how they want to do that. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, I'll be back tomorrow going to probably do some mid-season grades. That's probably how I will handle the next podcast. Easy content. Going to do that really easily. And it should be a lot of fun. Got a whole bunch of new reviews. Thank you so much for those. Uh, The ratings have really taken a boost. Thank you so much for those. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. For now, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys tomorrow.